Welcome to Reconquest on the Crusade Channel of the Veritas Radio Network. This is Brother Andre Marie coming to you from St. Benedict Center in Richmond, New Hampshire. Our websites are Catholicism.org and Reconquest.net. My email address is bam at Catholicism.org. That is B-A-M at Catholicism.org. I can also be found easily on Twitter at brother underscore Andre, and I'm easily found on Facebook. My topic for this evening is, why the church? Why not just Jesus? Again, why the church? Why not just Jesus? This is kind of basic. The last couple of shows we've been talking to, uh, talking to Mr. Ryan Grant and um, talking about some fairly elevated um, theology from St. Robert Bellarmine on the nature of the church. Well, we're going to roll it back a little bit and get much more basic, much more fundamental, and we're going to address a certain um, objection that many non-denominational type Christians um, make against there being even a church, even an institution. There's a sort of anti-institutional element uh, in a lot of um, so-called Christians today who question the existence of any kind of of an organization or any kind of an organized religion. Um, Before I get to the subject, I want to do a couple of quick commercials. First, do not forget, please, that the St. Benedict Center Conference here in Richmond, New Hampshire, at um, at our center here, is going to be on the last day of September and the first day of October of this year. You're all cordially invited to it. Go to Catholicism.org to find out more about that. You can uh, buy um, tickets online to it if you go to the store, our store site, and it's linked from Catholicism.org. Uh, Mike Church will be there. Um, Gary Potter will be there. C. Joseph Doyle will be there. Um, Sister Marie Philomena, I will also speak. Um, and we'll have a couple of others that we're trying to line up now, some people who can't yet commit because they're not quite sure what's going on. But it promises to be a very good conference, and we're going to be talking about the topic of keeping the Counter-Reformation going. Uh, also, you're invited to sign up for my regular uh, fortnightly uh, emails, which I call the odd rem, which means to the point. Go to Catholicism.org and sign up right on the main page to get those. And you can also sign up from there to get on our snail mail list. That is our United States Postal Service uh, list to get our regular monthly mailings from St. Benedict's Center. Um, okay, so let's let's go into the subject here of why the church, why not just Jesus? And in order to introduce this, I'm going to um, bring up two uh, people who are sort of representative of this kind of uh, objection to the institutional church, to, uh, you might even say, more broadly organized religion. And the first one I'm going—actually, I can name both of them because both of them, I guess, have sort of public names, and both of them said what they said publicly. The first one is this fellow. Um, his name is Jefferson Bethke. I hope I'm not murdering that last name. It looks like Bethke to me. And um, he has a, a, a YouTube video Obviously, this fellow is much more popular than I am because this particular video has been viewed 31 million times and, you know, a few hundred thousand after that. Um, I'm going to play just the very beginning of it uh, for you. I I skipped all the emotional music stuff at the beginning, and I want to get you to his sort of what he calls a poem and, and I call sort of spoken rap. Listen to this. 
What if I told you Jesus came to abolish religion? What if I told you voting Republican really wasn't his mission? What if I told you Republican doesn't automatically mean Christian and just because you call some people blind doesn't automatically give you vision? I mean, if religion is so great, why has it started so many wars? Why does it build huge churches but fails to feed the poor? Tell single moms God doesn't love them if they've ever had a divorce, but in the Old Testament, God actually calls religious people whores. Okay, so you get the point. It's a, it's, a, it's sort of a, a poetical rap, and he and he kind of has the rap rapper type moves as he's doing it. Um, and this obviously is somebody who's sort of objecting to, I guess, what is sort of the standard commonplace evangelical Christian. Republican kind of uh, nexus that we see in American religious politics, um, and he's he's saying because he somehow feels obliged to say that being Republican doesn't mean being Christian, which I'm sure astonishes um, the thousands of of non-Christian uh, Republicans out there, like um, you know neoconservative Jews and 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 so forth. Uh, atheists and agnostics who are registered Republicans, but but he's nonetheless trying to make the point that that just because you vote Republican and do all these other sort of standard evangelical Christian things doesn't mean that uh, that you really love Jesus. And he's actually sort of radically uh, separating Jesus from the concept of religion, which is kind of interesting because the book the the, the book of James, Saint James, talks about in the Bible under inspiration what religion pure and undefiled is before God. And that is um, to feed the, the homeless and widows and to keep oneself unspotted from this world. So he's giving, he's giving us some insights into true religion and real religion and religion the way God wants it. Um, but this fellow says that he hates religion. He, it's called, actually called Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus. So this is kind of an anti-establishment sort of um, pseudo-Christianity. Another... another um, uh, example of this comes in a, a lady who's a pro-lifer, kind of a, a very impressive, actually, pro-life advocate. Her name is Gianna uh, Jessen, and um, I kind of ran into her online once on Twitter, and I um, cordially invited her into the Catholic Church. Uh, she wasn't quite interested, and um, this is, of course, after she had made, made a, a, a stink about Catholics trying to convert her. And she asked the question, can I be saved if I don't become a Catholic? And I was, of course, one of the few who told her no. Uh, others, others told her um, all, all, all manner of yes or uh, y- yes unless, and all kinds of rather vague and uh, evasive or scandalously uh, uninformed answers. But I was straight out with her. Um, but what she said was that she wants Jesus only, only Jesus. And these are quotes, Jesus only, only Jesus. She also said she's not interested in any institution. I am not interested in any institution. I'm interested in only Jesus, Jesus only. I'm going to get to that that objection in particular in a little bit. But her name is Jana Jessen, and I'd ask you to pray for her. And also pray for this fellow... um, uh, Jefferson Bethke. Um, I mean, perhaps if he converts, he could make some um, some cool YouTube videos promoting the Catholic Church. Although hopefully his um, rap won't be part of it. But the 
where are we going with this? Well, I'm going to give several reasons. I'm going to give actually under four headings why I believe, uh, why the church, why not just Jesus? Okay, this is not exhaustive theology. It's not an attempt to be. This is sort of basic apologetics uh, on a very basic subject, but it's one that we should be able to answer people uh, who make this objection because it's a very, 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 very common objection. You're listening to Reconquest on the Crusade Channel of the Veritas Radio Network. This is Brother Andre Marie coming to you from St. Benedict's Center, and we're talking about why the church, why not just Jesus? So, okay, the first reason is this, because Jesus obviously gives great import to the church. That's why the church, why not just Jesus? Jesus himself obviously gives great import to the church. The second reason is because and I'm going to develop these further later. I'm just rattling off the four, and I'm going to develop them in a few minutes. Uh, the second one is because the church is the body of Christ. Consequently, all those who are members of Christ make up the church, and therefore the church is the unity of all those who are in Christ. Third, because the church teaches us, because it is the church that teaches us Christ's truth and therefore hands over to us the very components of our faith. So the church teaches us divine truth, okay? And fourth and last on this little, little list, because the history of the true religion is a history of patriarchal authority structures handing down religious traditions, directing the worship of God, and safeguarding and teaching God's revelation. Now, that's not going to be attractive to the modern feminist, but I would contend that Christianity, period, true religion, period, is not attractive to the modern feminist because the modern feminist is wrong. And the modern feminist has a lot of concepts that are completely at variance with God's divine order of things, and therefore... I'm not too concerned that a modern feminist might be offended by this argument simply because um, I'm not going to appeal to an error. Uh, it might, I, I, in, in the same way that I wouldn't be concerned that somebody who's pro-abortion is going to be, uh, would be offended if I made the argument that the church is the true church because she consistently defends human life and is against abortion and contraception and things like that. That might be an obstacle to some people, but teaching the truth is only an obstacle to people who want to live a lie. Now, moving right along, let's go back to that list. And, and here to finish out the first segment of the show, I'll probably only develop uh, maybe one in points one and two. Or actually, no, probably only point one. Um, because Jesus obviously gives great importance to the church. Now, that sounds like a basic thing. Uh, and it is, <laughs> but it's a very important thing. It's a very important concept. It says a lot. If Jesus thinks it's important, it's important. There are two passages from St. Matthew where it, where it makes it obvious that our Lord Jesus Christ went to the trouble of establishing a church and further w- went through the trouble of showing us that the church has authority. And I'm doing this from memory, so if I, if I mess up a, 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 a word here or there, um, don't, don't be shocked and, and, and call me a heretic or something. But in Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and surrounding, where Jesus says, Thou art Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, Um, He is saying that he's going to establish a church. He's going to establish it on Peter. 
uh, it will the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he gives to the to Peter right after that. He says, "And I give to thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever you shall bound, bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth will be loosed in heaven." So at the very moment that he's establishing his church on the rock of Peter, he says that he's also giving Peter authority. So at the at the very moment when he's establishing the church, he's handing over authority. And he's telling him he's going to give him these keys. Now, keys in the ancient world were symbols of authority. They were worn like badges on the shoulders of the key bearers uh, of the men who, because if you had the key, it was a symbol that you had the authority to open the city gates or the, the, the temple. In the, case, in the case of the Jewish religion, it meant you had the authority to, to open the temple. And the priest had the keys, according to according to the Talmud, when the temple was destroyed, or rather, not according to the Talmud, but according to um, rabbinical Jewish lore, when the when the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., the priests ran up to the roof of the temple and threw the keys to the temple up into the sky and said, "We are not worthy to hold these." And an angel uh, reached down and grabbed the keys and took the keys up to heaven. I don't believe that. I don't believe that that happened. I'm telling you what I read in a Jewish source, specifically a Lubavitcher Jewish source in New York, uh, from New York. Uh, we got this in New York um, at the somewhere in the center where the Lubavitcher Jews have their have their thing in Brooklyn. The point is that that this is an indication of something that we know from multiple other sources that in the ancient Near East, including among Jews. Keys were a symbol of authority. So when Jesus says, uh, I, "I give to thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven," he's he's. This is not. This doesn't just mean he's going to let, let let him in the place. This means that he's giving him authority, and that authority is to bind and to loose. And what he binds on earth is bound in heaven. What he loses on earth is loosed in heaven. So you have a very serious authority on this man who's just been made the rock upon which the church is built. So the church is an institution established by our Lord Jesus Christ that has authority. That authority that's exercised on earth, but authority that's ratified and confirmed in heaven. So it's this enterprise of having a church, having an institution of men— which is patriarchal and hierarchical in nature, was God's project, wasn't man's project. Um, and then the, the other passage, also from the Gospel of St. Matthew, is from Matthew 18, I think verses 17 or thereabouts and following, where our Lord is talking about what we commonly call today fraternal correction. He's talking about if somebody has wronged you, you go to him and, and just between you and him, you, you correct him. And if he doesn't take correction from you, then take a, a second person uh, or a third person so that out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, um, every word shall stand. He's quoting the Old Testament there. But he's basically saying, you know, have somebody else come and try to try to mediate charitably and, and, and witness what's being said and so forth. But if that doesn't work, then... Take him to the church. And if he hears not the church, let him be to thee as the heathen and the publican. The heathen and the publican. The heathen being an unbeliever, a Gentile, uh, a, a publican being uh, a tax collector, somebody who, who had a status, a certain status of um, uh, strong re- revulsion okay, to the Jews of our Lord's day. So our Lord is basically saying, if this person does not accept the authority of the church, if he's your brother, 
and he's wronged you and he doesn't accept the authority of the church, then you treat him like he's a pagan. You treat him like, like he's not only a pagan, but like a tax collector, a, a representative of a corrupt representative of uh, the pagan Roman Empire because the, the tax collectors were generally notoriously corrupt. So here we have two instances of our Lord Jesus Christ himself speaking of the church as an authoritative institution, as an institution made up of, of men not just him. Obviously, he isn't the only member of the church. The church is his body, as we're going to say in a moment, but the church isn't only Jesus. If the church were only Jesus, then, then it wouldn't concern us at all because we, we, we would have no relationship with it. We wouldn't be part of it. Um, all right, so that, that is the, that is the first, those are the first proofs of why Jesus thinks that the church itself is important. Now, this, this Jenna Jessen lady said multiple times, as I said, that she wasn't interested in a human institution or any institution, but in Jesus only, only Jesus. Now, first of all, I want to point out that, that she has a curious omission of the other two persons of the Holy Trinity. I don't want to be um, picky here. I don't want to be pedantic um, and, and like a little kid sort of jumping up and down that I caught, caught her saying something silly. But I do think that it reveals something. She insisted, only Jesus, Jesus only, that's all I'm interested in him. I'm not interested in any institutions. To omit the, the Father and the Holy Ghost is kind of typical of a, a certain reductionism that you find in a lot of Protestant circles. And what I mean by that is that they tend to divorce what God has joined together. Faith and good works, scripture and tradition, justification and merit— grace and the sacraments, divine will and human cooperation, all of these things that I've just, all of these pairs of things I've just given are things that God has joined. God has joined these things. He has joined faith and good works together. He has joined scripture and tradition together. He has joined justification, that is sanctifying grace, being holy, and merit. He has joined together grace and the sacraments. He has joined together his own will with our human cooperation. He has joined these things together. In every instance of those, Protestants render those things asunder. They render asunder faith and good works, and they say, you need one, you don't need the other. They render asunder scripture and tradition, saying, you need the one, you throw out the other. They rend asunder justification and merit, and they say there is no human merit. It's only, we're only uh, justified by God, and we can do nothing to, to merit uh, any further uh, grace from God. We can do nothing. To, yes, grace is a free gift from God. We cannot merit being put in the state of grace. We cannot merit being justified. But once we're justified, we can merit heaven. And Jesus says that when he invites us to store up treasures where the, the moth entereth, and, entereth not, okay, where it's not going to be spoiled. He tells us to store up treasures in heaven. How do we do that? We do that by good works. Okay, These are classical examples of things that where Protestants uh, uh, separate what God has joined together. You're listening to Reconquest on the Crusade Channel of the Veritas Radio Network. Radio the way it should be. You're listening to Reconquest with Brother Andre Marie, seeking that which was lost and fighting for it. Exclusively on the Veritas Radio Network's Crusade. 